We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good! Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and it's Thursday. This is the this is what we'll review yesterday's slate in the NBA uh, and answer your DFS strategy questions. As always, I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Josh Duck, Suki Singh, real life pitcher, Sterling Woods, Doug Montgomery, Hod Lawrence, Turks five seventy, Bluegrass Jeff. He's probably he's probably near me. I'm I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. So maybe if he's in he'd be in the bluegrass. Maybe maybe he's in my closet. I have no idea. Bluegrass Jeff. Good morning. Good morning to everyone uh, who played uh, NBA yesterday. We got NBA season is upon us. Season SCN season. If you're excited about NBA season, hit that thumbs up button. Right, I'm gonna wave the thumbs thumbs at you until I get them here in the morning. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know. When we go live, um, I'll be on later, later tonight for the for the showdown slate. What a disgusting showdown slate for NFL tonight there is. You can pretty much make whatever lineup you want because half the players are out. Uh, so it's going to be very, very hard to get different. You're going to have to get really weird tonight. So we'll talk about that later tonight on the, the, the pre-lock show. But yesterday, NBA, how did everyone, how did, how did everyone do for NBA yesterday? Uh, so a, a lot of the value got there and some of it didn't, right? That, that's just the way life works, right? Uh, if you, if you didn't, if you didn't stack on 11 games late, if you didn't stack the Celtics Knicks game that went into double overtime, uh, you probably couldn't win. You probably couldn't win first, right? Uh, Jalen Brown went from, uh, being doubtful to being probable to being, then being questionable to then being, then playing and then scoring 76 fantasy points okay at like almost no ownership like what was his ownership on DraftKings? 1.26 in the showtime 0.83 in the 888 and the main gpp is two percent two percent jalen brown uh randall was a little bit more more owned right 15 16 randall's ownership came up a little only because uh when uh when uh, gibson and noel were ruled out so uh, that didn't necessarily affect Mitch, Mitch, Mitchell Robinson as much as it affected Randall's ability to get center minutes. So that, 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 that's how projections work, right? If, if, you, if you're using projections, that's when, when you see people get bumped. It's like, this guy is out, this guy is out, or a starting lineup changes, right? You know, things like that. You have to pay attention the entire night. Because we saw, uh, this, this, I mean, this is what makes NBA DFS, uh, uh, you know, work throughout the end you can't really rest until the last game has locked but we saw you know before lock uh we got what do we brown was going to play we got word that you know, that boucher was going to play 
Uh, oh, Terry Rozier was out, right? Because he was a game time decision. And then they ruled him out, what, like 45 minutes before lock, which obviously boosts up a uh, lamella ball. Uh, and boosts up there, it pretty much boosts up everyone. Ish Smith coming out, you know, obviously uh, backup point guard, whatever, probably get uh, more minutes uh, together with Lonzo Ball. Uh, obviously Hayward, uh, usage goes up. But if you saw that they were going to monitor his minutes, I mean, he still played 30 plus Hayward. So it's like, okay, well, that's before lock. Okay, we got news. Someone is out. How does this affect the rest of the team? And now how do these players project? Well, after lock, uh, we, we, we got, I mean, some, some of these are very little things, but it could, it could significantly affect some players uh, to, to an extent in which you'd be willing to play them. Uh, Malik Beasley was not going to start for the Timberwolves, okay? So with him out, with his usage out, I think it was what, Okoji started instead, and he doesn't do anything. So which bumped up the projections for Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and and D'Angelo Russell. Now D'Angelo Russell on on draft was eighty five hundred. So I mean, uh, most likely you weren't really playing much of him there. But on on FanDuel where it was what seventy seven hundred or something that made him a much better play, just for the fact that Malik Beasley wasn't going to be in the starting lineup. Malik Beasley was going to play as you know the sixth man or something. So Towns's projection goes up a point and a half. Edwards goes up two. So those are the two points in the grand scheme of things could make the difference between, ah, oh, it's okay, and, oh, maybe I should get a little bit more of them. And then we got word after the 7.30 games locked that uh, the Anthony Melton was going to start in place of Kyle Anderson. Okay? Uh now, DeAnthony Melton is, is a good fantasy point-per-minute player. Now, alongside uh, John Morant, his, 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 his fantasy points-per-minutes were going to go down, but his minutes were going to go up. And if, if you've seen how the, the Grizzlies you know, rotate their players, it's most likely that DeAnthony Melton is going to come out early. So they're going to start with alongside John Morant, probably come out, four or five minutes in and then lead the second unit. So not only is he going to get more minutes, he's still going to have his role on basically being the use the, the, the key playmaker on it with the second. unit. So like, that's the best of both worlds in these 3,600. And, and we had, we had, we had him projected for 28 minutes. He ended up playing 30. So like, so that projection goes up. So it's not, he's, he's, He's keeping his same role and then adding more minutes. Less usage minutes. And you saw it throughout the game, right? The, you know, he doesn't do much. Desmond Bain is taking shots and he's just standing around doing nothing. But then once he leads the second unit, you know, he's a 30 plus percent usage. So those little things. So Belton's projection goes up by three or four points because his minutes go up. Like his, I think our, our original minutes projection from Melton was 24. Then we bumped him up to 28. He ended up playing 30. So, like, I, I was I was trying to get Melton to lineups. This is after lock. Right? I had Kyle Anderson in one of my – I only played six lineups yesterday. I originally had Kyle Anderson in, and in that lineup, I switched around to get DeAnthony Melton and move guys around. So these are the things paying attention to. Like, the uh, Anthony Melton put up 31.5 points for 3,600. Now, we had a lot of people that under 4K – you know, around 4K, that put up a lot of points, right? We had uh, Chris Duarte. We had uh, Maxi put up over 30. Harold put up over 30. I mean, we have a, I mean, Scotty Barnes didn't have a bad day. I mean, 23.75 for almost minimum price typically would be pretty good, but not on this slate. Uh, you, need, you needed more. Uh, Jalen Green, 22. So, I mean, I mean, at least got 20. Let's see, Evan Mobley, 41.75. And he was what? On DraftKings, he was 4,500. Almost 10x. Desmond Bain was 3,200, so he 10x. Josh Giddy at least put up 20. I'm just going through here. I mean, Mobamba was cheaper on FanDuel, so it doesn't matter. Uh, DeAnthony Melton, 31.5. 
I mean, Harold, even Gaff, I mean, Gaffer got 25 and he was, he was somewhat viable. Right. You could go through here and like so many people got there. Right. Fed, the Raptors didn't. Right. Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi. I mean, they got, they kind of got blown out by the Wizards. Dinwiddie didn't play as much as, as people thought. Right. 4,900. We thought, you know, 34 minute Dinwiddie. No, that didn't work out that way. And also, you know, lost about, you know, five minutes at the end because they didn't need him. Right. They were up by God knows how much. That's how, that's how fragile the projections are in the beginning of the season. Right. Because sometimes you're not sure what these rotations are necessarily going to be. And even if you are, sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't produce. Right. The Raptors were just chucking bricks all day. Right. Jonas Valanciunas, I think, has been three for 21. And I don't even know how that's possible. It's not like he's an outside shooter. How do you go three for 21 when most of your shots are within six feet of the basket? I don't know how that happens. So he was popular, more popular in FanDuel. But that's why NBA, like what I described with the starting lineup changes and everything, you got to pay attention. There are edges there. I mean, some, I mean it's not just uh, this guy's out. Oh, I just have to, I'll, I'll be on my, I'll be on the couch. I'll look at my phone. And if I, if I get a news that a guy is out, that's in my lineups. Like, no, well, what happens if the starting lineup changes? Right? Does the, what what effect does that have? Guys that's supposed to do this and did like you know it it uh, a lot of people played pressures at Chua and he missed he missed like six dunks yesterday or something he I don't know and he got into foul trouble. But Boucher was in, and you don't we don't know what their split that split at that at the center position. They have multiple guys that could play center, so just because Precious starts doesn't necessarily mean he plays. 28 to 30 minutes. Yeah, if he plays 28 to 30 minutes, he's a smash at 3,100. So yes, there is upside there. But that's what you're waiting against the field. Right, the field, if you take a look, Scotty Barnes, an 11-game slate to be, you know, in the fadeaway, almost 40% owned. Dinwiddie, 40-plus percent owned. Maxi, 37% owned. Jaron Jackson, who didn't really get there, 32 points, just pedestrian 31% owned and bead who suffered obviously he got injured and then they just didn't bother using him in the fourth quarter because they were up by so much so he didn't really get there for right he got he had like 20 he had like 26 in the first quarter the end of the game was 41 and a half right so a lot a lot of the chalky guys you didn't you you didn't need in fact it, it hindered you and even guys like maxi you didn't need as long as you as long as you had someone in that price range that gave you that many points. If you had Mobley, if you had Duarte, if you had Melton, if you had Harrell, like probably you need multiple of these guys. But like in my lineups, like I play, I played six lineups. And one of these lineups, I, I obviously switched because I didn't have Carl Anderson anymore. So I played six lineups. All six had Duarte and all six had Jeremy Grant. Now I didn't necessarily plan it out that way, but it ended up working out that way. I was using Duarte because his projection in comparison to guys like Barnes, like in that low range, I had him projected with the lowest ownership. So I'm projecting with 17% ownership. I was off on some guys. Duarte, oh, this, this is exposures. Hold on. Let me take a look at Duarte. Duarte. Yeah, 17, like in the fadeaway. Like these ownerships I, I make for the basically for that type of contest. So for the fadeaway 17, where am I going? Where am I going here? I got to switch around. 17, right? But Maxi was going to be a lot, much more owned, 40% owned. Barnes was going to be around 40. Actually, he ended up being slightly higher. Like Lamelo, I only had for 10, but I mean, he ended up coming in higher. I don't think I adjust. I built these before. No, no, no. I no ten percent. So I was off on him. I was off on Embiid. If I if I projected Embiid better at twice this ownership, I wouldn't have had him in five out of six of my lines. It would have been more likely to be Towns there. But Jeremy Grant, I I found, based on running lineups, based on ceiling, 
was the lowest owned. He actually came in less owned than 13%. I think he came in seven. He was 7% in the contest that I was playing. So what did Jeremy Grant come in the fadeaway? 11. Okay. So a little bit, a little bit under. But for the positional scarcity of uh, uh, small forward, power forward, on DraftKings, the guards, you could fill up the guard spots, no problem on DraftKings. It was that small forward, power forward type of spots. I thought the, be- the best ceiling plays for their ownership were uh, Grant and Michael Porter Jr. And that's, and that's purely from running lineups. What did you see in those games? No, I didn't see anything. I'm literally running lineups and looking at combinations of, you know, projection versus ownership. That's all I'm doing. And I was just getting a lot of Grant and Porter. Derek White on DraftKings. I, I had I had Derek White on DraftKings. I am at 13% owned. And he was like nothing owned. Like almost nothing. Four, four, five percent. So when you run lineups, I mean, it's very, getting the ownership right, you need to get closer than this. Like I did not get close on some of these guys. And that would have dramatically changed like what lineups I would have played. Probably still would have gotten to Grant. Probably still would have gotten to Michael Porter Jr. Uh, probably would have had maybe maybe only one out of six with Scotty Barnes. Maybe none with Fred Van Vliet. I had Fred Van Vliet at 30%. And he came in higher than that, right? No, no, around 30 in the fadeaway, right? Okay, okay. So I was, I was about accurate on that. It's the Embiid one. I thought there was t- that t- more people... Not more people. I thought, you know, Jokic is there and Towns is there. Obviously, Jaron Jackson is there. That could fill a center spot. I thought it'd be more spread out. I also played a lot uh, Mo Bamba in five out of six lineups on DraftKings. Mo Bamba and Nurkic for their ceilings because more people are going to be playing Embiid, Towns, Jokic, you know, that, that range. I still had, obviously had Embiid. It's hard not to get Embiid in five out of six lineups when I have him at 14%. That's the point. If I put him at 30 there, like these lineups wouldn't, would have much higher ownership and I would have played different lineups. So just to show you what I have, I have one Kuzma lineup. What was that lineup look like? Right. And also, you know, if you notice here, I'm playing Washington and Toronto players together. So Fred Van Vliet is in one lineup, right? It's in the one lineup that has Kyle Kuzma and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like Scotty Barnes, Dinwiddie, Barnes, Dinwiddie, Barnes, no Dinwiddie. But Barnes wasn't the key player. Dinwiddie was more the key player. And Van Vliet was a key player. So I put it in those correlations here. So if I go to player groups. So these are the player groups that I have. Remember, I'm only making six lineups. But I'm I'm really making 300 lineups and then picking the six that I'm playing. So here, so here from yesterday, here are groups that I made. And if you're playing a ton of lineups, you could use these types of groups also. So in all my LaMelo bar lineups, use one of two of Duarte, Turner, or, and Savonis, right? I mean, I didn't end up playing Savonis or Turner, but I mean, that's why Duarte ball. You understand why my ball lineups have Duarte, why I have six Duarte lineups, because I have like five LaMelo ball lineups, Okay. My next group is make sure that Sabonis and Turner aren't together. Typically, they compete for rebounds. So I, I, I make sure that, you know, if, if this group works with two players, min one, max two, I'm going to get Duarte and one of Sabonis and Turner. That's essentially these two groups work together for that fact. And I have only play one of Harold Gafford or Kuzma. Now, the Kuzma one is... It could just be Harold or Gafford because obviously they, they're direct backups of each other. But Kuzma, the rebound was. Maybe takes away rebound. So, I mean, you didn't need to put Kuzma there, but I did. Because most, most likely I wasn't playing much of any of these guys. Anyway. And then I have, if Fred Van Bleed is in the lineup, use one to two of Dinwiddie, Kuzma, Gaz, Gafford, Harold. So basically that first group was just made so that if I do play Fred Van Bleet, I'm going to get Dinwiddie plus one of the other three. And Ogie Adenobi, I, I got rid of. So 
that that group doesn't. I did the same, basically did the same thing with OG. If I play OG, one to two wizards, right? And separate Van Vliet and, and OG and Ananobi together. Same thing. Barnes, Precious, Achua, and Anobi. Secondary uh, players on the Raptors, separate them. Okay, then I have a group. Don't play Anderson, Bain, and Melton together. Right, so only play one of these guys. Most likely they're playing very similar positions. Don't play Mobley and Jackson together. Both sides, you know, competing. Rebounds as well as foul trouble. Especially when it comes to Triple J. Most likely, they're going to be covering each other. So rebounds and fouls are going to be negatively correlated. And I have this. If Evan Mobley is in the lineup, use one of the, the Grizzly, the cheap Grizzly guys that I have. Anderson, Melton, Bain. And I have don't play Wood and Towns together. On two sides of the game, right? Centers, you know, opposing centers. And I have, don't play Townsend Edwards together because at their prices, I figure if one hits the ceiling, the other doesn't. This one, I, I left out Ingram for my player pool, but this is, don't play Valanciunas and Ingram together at their prices. Uh, don't play Harrison and Bede together at their prices. Don't play, uh, it, oh, this is, if, if Ingram's in the lineup, use one to two of Maxi, Harris, or Embiid, but I, I took Ingram out of my play. Don't play Embiid and Valanciunas together opposing centers. I make these groups as I add people to my player pool. So it's not like I just go through, you know, it's like, okay, let me look at every player on this list. It's like, no, I go game by game and adjust the people that I want to play. So basically the, the highest projected players, not who do I want? I just go by the numbers. Who projects well in this game? Okay, give me those three guys. Who projects well on the other side of this game? These two guys. Okay, how did these three guys and these two guys interact? Well, probably there's two centers, so I don't want to play them both together. And then, then you start making the groups. So I just wanted to show you all the groups. I wouldn't be doing this every day, but since it's the start of the NBA season, people always ask, you know, what types of groups do you make? Here's one that uh, if, Vol- if Jonas Valanciunas is in the lineup, he's one to two of Maxi or Harris. Because obviously Embiid's not going to be part of it because there's center, they're opposing centers. Don't play Bomba and Pirtle together. They're opposing centers, another group. Uh, don't play Murray and White together, right? Two guards of the same team at similar prices. Uh, I mean, you could play them together, but I chose not to. Uh, if Deontay Murray is in the lineup, use one to two of Bomba and Suggs. Okay. If Derek White's in the lineup, use one to two of Bomba and Suggs. Okay, so I get... You know, Spurs magic, kind of one-one together. Don't play Jokic and Porter together. Okay, their prices. If Jokic puts up seventy-five points, Porter probably doesn't put up forty-five at his price. And then I have don't play Nurkic and McCollum together at their prices. And that's it. There you go. So I did all of I did all these groups knowing that I was only making six lines. Okay. And when you see the lineups here. These weren't just like, oh, I'm, I, I, if you see here, look at the number up here, 300. I didn't just build six and say, give me 100% Jeremy Grant. I did not put in, you see here, no exposures, no, no, no nothing here at all. Now, if I'm building 150, if I'm doing a, l- a large lineup, maybe there are certain players that I'm capping or certain players that I want more of specifically. So maybe, maybe I go, I want at least 20%, but no more than 60%, and then start running the lineups. Or I run the lineups and I see that I'm getting way too much of someone. And it's like, if I choose my 20 or 50 or six from this set, I'm just going to end up with like 100% of someone. If I'm fine with that, then that's fine. It's just, at that point, it's just a diversification, just a risk tolerance issue. It's all about risk management. That has nothing to do with whether or not the lineup's good. You could, I could, I could find fifty lineups with Chris Duarte that are great. Do I want to play all fifty though? Well, you could. They're all great. But if Chris Duarte has eight points. He bombs all of your lineups. If he puts up forty, he helped all of your lineups. So just that's the risk tolerance issue. That's a, 
all, all exposures and everything are just all a matter of risk management. It's not a strategy. Being over or under is not a strategy. You want to build plus EV lineups. I found that the range of lineups that I was looking in was somewhere between 120-ish percent owned and 160, like that range. Because going through all my 300 lineups and seeing what lineups project well for the lowest ownership. And this first one just, it knocked everyone's, you know, 408 from a ceiling standpoint at 156 was just so good to pass, too good to pass up. This was one of, this is one of like the top 15 lineups in my entire 300 set. And the top 14 were like 200% owned. It was like 200 and 180s. Then I got down to this lineup at like the 15th spot and it dropped all the way to 156 at 408. So I looked at this lineup and I said, well, this lineup with so much lower ownership than the lineup, 14 lineups above it. Like this is where I start from, right? This is what I want. So I, I, I basically looked at this and then I said anything above 156, just, I don't want any. So now I'm just finding lineups that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up a little bit more, much more projection here, but I'm keeping my ownership intact. Right. And then I come down, I have the lowest one down here. Paul Duarte, Porter, Grand, Bomba, Dinwiddie, Harris, Nurkic. Remember, I'm building these lines. Remember, the only reason why it looks like, well, these lineups look pretty, they look pretty chalky, right? They don't look like, they don't look nuts. Yeah, because I'm playing the Showtime. I'm playing the Splash. I'm playing the, the mid-range jumper. I'm playing the, the 200, the 100, the 40, the 12, the $12 single entry. That's the largest one I'm playing. But I'm playing smaller field stuff, smaller field. It's not small, small field but small enough field, under a thousand entries. So I don't have to get nuts, right? I think I, I think I came in like 12th and one and 23rd and another, because obviously if you didn't have like Randall, Jalen, if you didn't have some of those guys, they didn't jam people together. I mean, like I had too much like Dinwiddie and Embiid sitting there with 41 points in a lineup that's like, you know, 20 points behind first place. You're going like, like, dude, couldn't you, if you would have gotten to 60, I could have won this thing. So yeah, there's, there's small, there's smaller field contests, but these are still, truthfully, these are still not bad for the large field stuff. Not bad. Depending on the size of the slate, obviously. So some of these guys like Jeremy Grant was barely owned, right? Jeremy Grant, Mo Bamba on DraftKings. He was higher on on FanDuel. Michael Porter. I mean, these, these guys put up ceiling games and there you go. You, you, I mean, Let's say Michael Porter put up a Jalen Brown game or Jeremy Grant put up a 65 verb. Like then, then we'd be talking about me winning all the money. Even with all these other guys, in, right? In basketball, you don't, you don't have to, I mean, I talked about it yesterday. You don't have to sacrifice like 30 points in projection just to play GPP lines. Especially on larger, especially in 11 game slates. You could find good players at low ownership. Now we could question the fact, is Jeremy Grant a good player? Is Michael Porter a good player? But these are good players. I'm not, you're not, you're not seeing the eighth guys on, on the bench type of players. You're not seeing that. And you could still play chalky players because they project, they project well. Out of all the sports, NBA is the least amount of variance. It's still high, it's still high variance. It's still high variance. It's not impossible to go like, why aren't they playing LaMelo Ball? Terry Rozier's out. He's 7,700. His ceiling, I mean, I had his ceiling is 55 at his 80th percentile range. He's, he hit it. But why not? And then if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play some $3,200 guy, if people are going to be playing Desmond Bain, like why aren't they playing Chris Duarte since he's on the other side of LaMelo Ball? He's on the other side of the game. So that's how, why not? And then everyone's avoiding this Pistons-Chicago game. I don't like anyone on the Chicago side, only because it's a bunch of people that uh, cannibalize each other. But who the hell do the Pistons have? Like, their team is horrible. It's Jeremy Grant, and that's about it, right? So let me play Jeremy Grant. But I didn't think, I didn't think of that. I just ran the lineups, and he just said, I don't know, it's coming, it's coming up a lot. 
why is he only going to be 13% owned if he's coming up this much? Well, I hope he's only 13% owned because he shouldn't be. He's coming up in more lineups. So th- to me, that this is, this is the process of building lineups. It is a non-basketball-driven approach. Once I see the lineups, then I can think, oh, that makes sense. If I'm going to play this guy, I'm going to play that guy. And maybe you go through the lineups and you see, oh, well, you didn't realize that you didn't group out of someone. It's like you wanted that. Like, let's say you had McCollum and Nurkic in a lineup together. Now, you could still both, you could play both of them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, their 90th percentile outcomes are going to be negative or correlated. But they're like, their 65th percentile outcomes are probably correlated. So depending on the size of the contest, maybe maybe you decide you don't you don't mind that. So you just leave the McCollum-Nurkic lineup the way it is. But let's say you go through and you're looking through lineups and you just go, oh, I got a Nurkic-McCollum lineup. I don't want them together. Well, then make a group and rerun your lineup. There you go. Going through the YouTube chat. Mm, Tyler Walker, do we still have to ask FanDuel for head-to-head rake refunds for ties? Yes. If you have Roto Tracker, there's, there's, if you go into your head-to-head section, there's something called a draw report, okay? That'll show you all the draws, all the ties that you've had. Now, what I do is every month for FanDuel, there's even a template there. So if you go into Roto Tracker and you set your, your, your date, you know, the, the filter for like a one month period, because I do it every month. So I go, okay, for the month of, you know, on, on November 1st, right? I'm uploading all my stuff through the 31st, then on November 1st, I go to the head-to-head screen, I do a filter for just October 1st through 31st. And then the draw report will have all the ties. And then I go to the, then there's a little, there's a thing there that literally has a, has a template for you, an email template. They'll say, hi, my name is whatever. And here are all the, here's the contest names where all the ties, right? So you just go there and you cut and paste that. And then you open up a support ticket for FanDuel and you cut and paste that. You put you select account management or whatever as a subject. And you put it in. Typically, typically with, 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 within 12 hours, it's, it's taken care of. That's how, quick, that's how quickly it is. Do you have to do it every day? No. Why, why bother doing it every day? You'd have to do it every day because you need, you need the, the 80 to 20 cents back on your $1 head-to-heads. I mean, you have bigger problems then. I could wait till the end of the month to get, you know, whatever, whatever the ties are. DK does it automatically. But what, from what I've been told is that they, it's, it, it's a manual process also, and they do it once a week on their schedule. Like, like you could email them. You could do the same thing for DraftKings. So in the Roto Tracker, you could just, there's a dra- DraftKings section and a FanDuel section, right? So click on the DraftKings one and there's the, the same type of template and then email support. You can do that at the end of the month also. What's the worst case scenario? They tell you we've already refunded you for some of these from all of them. But just to me, I do that once a month. Do it once every two months, every three months, whatever. doesn't matter. There's no, there's no time period. But DK is supposed to do it automatically. Just that they get to it and they do it like on a weekly period. So if you don't see a refund on the rate three days later, from a contest head-to-head that you were tied in three days ago, you know, it'll be there. It'll eventually be there. They'll get to it. But if you, if, if you, feel, if you feel like, like they're not getting to it, do the same thing that I do. Wait till the end of the month and just email them and just say, yeah, there you go. And let them tell you, oh, we already got all this. And I'm, oh, okay. <sighs> Nate Branshaw, in some cases, wouldn't it be more beneficial that a guy doesn't start because they get increased usage on the second unit. Yes. But also typically a lot of times if they're starting, they're also closing. So when you're starting, you're more likely, I mean, it all depends on the team. When you're starting, you're more likely to get more minutes, but obviously less usage compared to the second unit. Because now you're in with better players. But the thing is with Melton, in the case with Melton, is that most likely he's coming out early and then still leading the second unit. It's not the type of thing where, where Melton's going to play alongside Ja the entire, you know, for, for eight to 10 minutes and then come out and have all his minutes overlap with Ja Morant. 
and then have Kyle Anderson lead the, the second unit as a semi-point guard, which he's really not, but he can. So that's why his that's why his minutes in our and see the thing is I don't I don't have to bother thinking about it. Like I know the reason, right? I just explained it to you. Melton's probably gonna come out early and then still lead the second unit, which means his 24, his 22 to 24 minutes that we originally projected are still gonna be there, as with the same usage. But now he's gonna get four to eight extra, he's gonna four to six extra minutes, four to eight even, in with the starters on top of that. Well, that's why the projection went. Like I'm explaining exactly what the projections team that we have here at Roto Grinders is doing. Right? Andy Means and Notorious and Jamino and Tuttle and SBK and Bob Reeves and Alan Lem and whoever's back there. That's what they're discussing. Oh, what does this mean? Well, that's probably what it means. I mean, like, like I, I know basketball, I know these rotations and everything. So I make it sound like, oh, all you need is the numbers because all you do need is the numbers. I don't need the explanation on why the projections exist the way it is, but I, I do know most of the time why, right? This guy's in, that guy's out. What's going to happen? Okay, most likely this guy's projection is going. Rogier is out. Well, most likely Ball's projection is going to go up and Hayward's projection is going to go up. And whoever, whoever the guard, the, 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 the six-man guard is going to go up. I don't know who that is. I don't even know who that is. But whatever the whoever whoever's the guy that normally plays 22 minutes off the bench and leads the second unit is probably going to get another six minutes. That was Ishman. Right. So like like that's like I get a sense of what's going to happen by how much. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm not doing it. But I played NBA DFS long enough to kind of know like what what guys are going to move and what's not. But do I need to do that? that that's the key question. Do I need to know why? I don't need to know why. And a lot of times looking through projections, I don't, I, I don't feel uncomfortable not knowing why. I think that's, that's, a, that's a big thing that, that average DFS players like, can't handle. They need to know why they're doing something. Right? It sounds weird to say, well, why wouldn't you want to know why you're doing something? It's like, well, as long I know I'm doing it because the numbers say to do it. But I don't know why the numbers are the way they are, but do you trust? That's why it all starts when I'm, when I'm going through the entire process of building lineups using lineup HQ or any, any way you build lineups. Do you trust the projections? Because if the answer is no, then, not, then I can't help you anymore. Then you, you're, you're building based on feel. You're, you're trying to weigh 700 variables in your head. I mean, like, like I don't, that's, I'm not an intuitive player like that. I just, as long as you, you could, narrow down every player to a number then the game just becomes putting the numbers together so just get it to a number for me or do it yourself i mean you could originate your own projections but why do that when i could just use the rotogrinders projections that are that i'm probably not going to be better than anyway so just do it that way but some people are uncomfortable with that i'm not going to just trust numbers i'm like why not you're going to be doing it in your head you know, realizing you're you're weighing things and putting numbers on them, and then you're making choices. But most likely, a projection model is going to be less biased and more accurate. And then once you get them down to numbers, you make your lineups. There you go, done. Uh, let's see. Uh, bu- 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 May Branshaw with a low RGV, which is a salary adjusted plus minus, and a high smash indicate a volatile player. Yes. Such as Bomba yesterday at a 30% smash with a low salary adjusted value. Yes. You could tell, you could tell by just looking at the ceiling and the floor. Michael Porter Jr. was one of them also. Jeremy Grant didn't have that high of a salary adjusted plus minus, but he has a high ceiling. So yes, that's very, very well, well spotted. Nate. Someone someone could have a negative. It's all all that's all the RGV, salary adjusted plus minus, is doing is describing what the uh, distribution curve looks like. Like that RGV versus smash. Like if we take a look at today's slate, which I'm not playing. It's a three-game slate and there's showdown, and I got a show, and 
right? I can't, I can't be on a 7.30 show for NFL showdown and then have to deal with someone from Milwaukee, Miami is out 10 minutes before the, the, the game locks. So all RGV and Smash is doing is describing the distribution curve, right? High RGV, high Smash, that means a lot more of his outcomes are towards, are leaning. I mean, they're not dramatically leaning towards the top. But like something like, like Jimmy Butler, 15% smash, or Adebayo, more leaning towards the middle. But like Jordan Poole, Dwight Powell, you see here, like, oh, Dwight Powell, minus one, his uh, salary adjusted plus minus is like, Minus one thirty-five. Uh, yeah, but look at look at his ceiling. Thirty is his ceiling is ten x, right? His floor sucks, right? So his middle value is lower in the distribution curve than other players, but he still has a lot of the space in the high end, right? Damian Lee, right? We take a look. You just go down here. Luke Kennard, right? I mean, obviously it's a three-game slate, so you're gonna have to play some some crappy players. Dwayne Dedman. Right, like Dwayne Dedman's median sucks. But you can see his smash percentage is higher enough that, like, he's play. I mean, yes, my, you probably you may not even play him on the slate like this. But yes, so Nate points out something that's very, very, very well, well thought out. Drew Holiday is ruled out today, by the way. So these, these, these see, it's probable here. See, this, all of this is going to change now. Welcome to NBA. Danilo Gallinari is ruled out today. Oh, Lou Williams is a game time decision. Welcome to NBA, folks. This is NBA. People want to make and people people show up to this show and they want to make lineups. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Can't make lineups. You barely make lineups a half an hour before lock. Uh, Doug Montgomery. What site is better for NBA? FanDuel or DraftKings? That, what that's. I mean, there's no such thing as better. They're both fine. Depends on what contest you like to play, I guess. So I don't know what, there's no such thing as better. Joe Stroop, why does RG not offer different uh, for projected ownership based on contest size? Because it's tough to do. <laughs> it's tough. It's, it's tough to be accurate for one contest size, let alone for multiple contest size. But this is the ownership projections typically around the industry, not just roto grinders, is based on the larger field contests. You could scale them for the smaller field stuff. That's perfectly fine. You just know that the chalk will be chalkier. So and and that ownership has to be taken away from other players. So like like Jeremy Grant, for instance, Jeremy Grant in the the Showtime or whatever the single entry was seven percent owned, not thirteen percent owned. Right. I projected him for around 13 and he was around that in the $15 large field. But in the small field, he was lower because more people were playing Van Vliet and Dinwiddie and, uh, and who's, who's that small? Who's who? Uh, Scotty Barnes, those types of guys. True Dawn FM. I know the consensus for reasonable GPP ownership in NFL is less than 125%. Is that range different in NBA? The range is all it's much more dependent on the slate. Because the ownerships are going to be wildly different. Wildly different. I mean, it's the same is true for NFL as well. You don't get there are some slates at NBA where there will be three guys that are 60 plus percent owned. I mean, look at yesterday. I mean, just, just look at yesterday. The only reason why we didn't have certain players with absurd ownerships is because we had so many other people with absurd owners. I mean, like like Jaron Jackson, 40%. Barnes, 40%. Dinwiddie, 40%. Van Fleet, 30%. If you set your, your, your cap at like, oh, I don't want to play a lineup for more than 100%, like you're, you're fading everywhere. And you're most, and you're most likely... The chalk in NBA tends to be better because it's a more projectable sport. But imagine if we didn't have Jaron Jackson on the slate and we didn't have Van Vliet on the slate. Like Dinwiddie would have been 60% down and Barnes would have been 60% down. I mean, like everyone else, Maxi would have been 40% down. We start to take, and there, there are a lot of slates where there's only like two or three players like this. 
or one player. There may be one player that's 80% owned. And you know what? The 80% owned player is under-owned, right? You have instances in NBA where there's a player that's going to be 80% owned in your contests that should be 95% owned. So actually the fact that he's 80% owned is, is good. You have leverage. It's like, well, I'm, well how, do you, how do you play the 80% owned player? It's like, like dude, because he, he should be high. He, he actually should be higher than that. He's a $3,600 player with a 12X median. Like he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get there like more than 85 80% of the time, actually. So you're more likely to play. You don't get that in NFL, you don't get that in other sports. So it all depends on what the ownerships of the players are. So that number 125, like you can't just you can't use there's no number. Yesterday it happened to be based on what I was running. That sweet spot was around 120 to, to 160. And it's only because there were a lot of players that were under-owned because of other players being higher, right? That's why I got only one Van Vliet lineup, only one Harris lineup, only two JJJ, Triple J lineups. But most likely, you were still playing some value plays. You are still probably playing Duarte, Barnes, Bain, Melton, uh, whoever, I mean, all those the under 4K maxi, still probably playing those guys. But which guys, we had multiple guys to choose from, which kept all the ownership down. So even with between 120 and 160, you still could play two or three of those guys. But there are certain slates where there's only two of those guys. So the only way to drop your ownership is by fading one of them or fading both of them. And fading both of them, your projection may not even be high enough. You may need to play one of them in order to keep your projection high. So the number, whatever that ownership number on the slate, like you're not going to, you're going to have to run lineups to know, to get a sense of where that range is on every single slate. And the same is true in NFL, by the way. You use the number 125. That doesn't mean anything new. Just that in NFL, we typically don't see 70% owned players. We don't see multiple 30 to 40% owned players. Like a lot of times, like even last week, you had, you had a Kareem Hunt that's like 36% owned or something. And then a couple of guys at 20. Like, okay, well, on average, if you, if you said you're probably somewhere between 75 and 125 in NFL, you're, 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 probably, you're probably right. If you did that every slate without thinking, you'd probably more, be more, on more slates, you'd be right. You'd be accurate than less accurate. But in NBA, it's all over the place. Uh, do, 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 do. Michael Dampier, for three game slates, do you tend to game stack more in NBA compared to larger 10 game slates? So would you maybe allow Jokic and Porter Jr. in some lineups, for example? Yes. Because the opportunity cost is, is lower. Like those negative correlations, like I don't mind them, unless it's like extreme negative correlation. I don't mind on smaller slates, two, three, four game slates even. Because what's the opportunity? Oh, if you play Jokic and Porter together, that's not allowing me to get who? There's only so many people to choose from. There's only three games going. There's 11 games. Why am I playing Why am I playing Porter with Jokic when I could just play Embiid in that lineup? When I could play Towns instead of Jokic? But there's, at the small forward position in Porter Jr., I could play other guys. I could play Jeremy Grant. I could play Tobias Harris. I could play... There's so many other people there. The three games slate, there aren't. Shakesy, any tips on building NBA lineups for someone who can't afford the optimize? Well, if you can't afford projections, uh, this may be a, this may be a very this this is something that people wouldn't tell you. Okay, Shakesy. So I'm not talking about the the optimizer itself is just is just a tool. Okay, so optimize is like a calculator. But you're, I'm assuming you're talking about projections, okay? The optimizer is just using whatever project. If I put in the horrible projections into this, it doesn't matter. Like I'm just going to get horrible lines, right? No matter what I do. Most people are like, well, what do I do if I, if I have no projections? Uh, personally, I would say no, don't play NBA defense. I mean, I'm, I'm just being real. 
you're you're more likely to get lucky in other sports, the higher variance sports. Like in MLB, if you're like, oh, I don't have I don't have projections in MLB. It's like look at the team totals, right? Look at the Vegas lines or whatever. And just stack the teams with the highest totals with five, five of those guys from one team and, and then take the second, send take another team and take three guys. Like you're more likely to get lucky doing. I mean, even even if you're if you don't have projections, like it's very easy to just kind of okay, you could get lucky that way. I mean, you may not be profitable, but you have more of a shot. NFL, you have more of a shot with touchdowns and injuries and who knows. Right. NHL, you know, oh, the highest totals and what are the lines? As long as you're able to figure out and when they change, you know, line one, line two, power play one, you know, all that type of stuff. And just get some goals, get the right goalkeeper, which is just a crapshoot as it is. You're more likely to get lucky. But in NBA, it's it's tough. So personally, like play play for entertainment's sake. Sure. Okay. You want to play low stakes? Play the lowest stakes you can. Play the lowest stakes you can and have fun. I guess. I mean, like that's that's what I would suggest. But I don't. Without any any type of projections in NBA, like, dude. I mean, there's only so much intuition you could put into this. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be playing against you're gonna be playing against people that are, are, are gonna, I mean, wildly better than you just for the sake of having having reasonable projections. It's not that expensive. It's really not that expensive. Uh Kai Roach, massive late swap edge. Franz Wagner was just 1.5% owned. Osmo changed him to 68% smash post lock. Dude scored 26 points at 3K, which is fine. But also a lot of other people scored 26 points for 3K. There were just a lot of people to choose from. But if you want to play Franz Wagner, I was playing more, I was more in Jalen Sugg. I mean, I only played six lineups. He didn't fit in, right? I'm more I I already had lot like at seven o'clock, I already had Chris Duarte lock. Anyway, so it's like I'm done anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sheiksy, do you create the groups first before crunching your lineups? Yes. I go through the entire player pool and decide who stays in. Right? And typically, it, I, I'm not picking players. Take a look at my player pool from yesterday. Oh, my God. It's all the people with the green and the RGB column. I mean, like, and Kyle, well, Kyle Anderson turned into this, right? Because obviously his, his, his uh, projection went down, right? I replaced him and I late swapped that lineup out. But look at this. If I go through, it's guys that have a good projection. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, so I'm not going through like for today's slate or something like that, whatever. It's like, oh, you see all these guys that are up here, like from here to here, I'm going to eliminate everyone below. I mean, like that, that's all I'm doing. But I'm going team by team. Right. So I eliminate and I go team by team. So I'm going, I'm doing something like this. Right. I'm going Indiana, Charlotte. Right. I eliminated everyone. Right. Underneath this. And I said, okay, I got Turner. I got Sabonis. I got Duarte. I got Ball. So now how would I make a group? Do I want Sabonis and Turner together? Probably not. So I make that group. Right. Do I want two guys from Pacers together? I don't mind. I don't mind Duarte plus one of these two. And if I'm going to play these guys together, if I'm going to play LaMelo Ball, I might as well play one of these, these guys. So I'm like, so then I make that group. And then I go to the next game. So I go to Chicago, Detroit. And the only one that projected well was Jeremy Grant. Do I have to make a group for that? No. Then I go to Boston, New York, and I have no one. I go to Washington, Toronto. I have a bunch of guys here. So now how do I want, okay, I don't want Gafford and Harold together. Right, but if you see here, the guys that I'm including are just all the high, all the best projected players. That's it. They're going to be the ones that end up in my lineups. I don't have to deal with the guys that are all the way in the bottom because even if I built 300 lineups, they're never going to show up in any of the 300 lineups anyway. So why do I have to even make a group with them? Any? They're, just, they're not going to show up. I just eliminate them completely, right? So I don't even have to worry about them in groups. But yes, so I make all those groups before I crunch the 300 lineups. And even when I generate the 300 lineups, I still go through, I'll scroll through and see if there are any groups that I just happen to miss. This guy, this guy together, do I really want to do that? You know, and you see, you see stuff like that. But you can do this in your head. I mean, if you're only building, I mean, look, I'm building six lineups. You could have built, you could, man, you could hand build this if you want. Right? Me personally, since I have a tool, I'd rather just run 300 and pick the six that I want. 
right? Go through and see what the numbers are, right? Beforehand, did I think I was going to play six out of six Grant and Duarte? No, I didn't. I did not have a clue at all. I probably would have not chosen that, but based on the numbers, I couldn't refute it. So I was just like, okay, my night's being decided by this, by this, and that's it. And it worked out. How many cashed, right? Four out of six of my lineups cashed. I was profitable in GPP. DK cash games did great. FanDuel cash, not so much. <sighs> also, do you lock in players or do the groups make it where you don't have? No, you don't have to lock in players at all. You use conditional player groups. We have, if you sign up for Roto-Grinders, we have, we have tutorials on all of this. Stephen Cunningham, high blender for your starting bankroll. Do you start with what you ended with last year or start over? I'm, start, I'm starting with what I ended with. We see here, I have my NBA cash bankroll tracker. So last year, you can see most of it was on Fandle. I started with 20,000. Like fictional. This isn't my full, whole bank. I have way, way bigger bank than this. And I made over 20,000. Just playing 10% and diversifying between multiple sites. So since I started with the 20,000 last year, I was like, okay. This year, I'm going to start with 40,000. Right. So made money on DraftKings, lost money on FanDuel. And FanDuel, the thing they don't, they don't tell you on FanDuel, just to let you know, okay? Just to let you know on FanDuel. The limiter, the head-to-head -head limiter on FanDuel does not apply to auto match. So be aware of that. You're playing head-to-heads on FanDuel. They've added a limiter, which they've, they, DK has had one for five years. And a limiter means that, like, I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to put together 50 head-to-heads at different levels and a limit of one, which means opponent can only take one per stakes level. So if I have 10, if I have 10 $50 head-to-heads, 10 $25 head-to-heads, 10 $10 head-to-heads, 10 $5, and 10, like someone could come by and take 150, 125, only one. What it won't allow you to take more than that. It used to be there was no limiter. Someone could just go and literally take all of them. You have 10 $50 head-to-heads, I'm taking all 10, right? All at once. So it, what made it, what problematic is that you, you, in order to prevent scooping, even by dumb people that just like, why are you doing it? Why, why, why did you scoop 10 of my $5 head to heads when there's a $50 head there? You could just take one of Like, so now I have to go in and, and now create more. So a lot of times on FanDuel, people were just posting one or two at a time. So they wouldn't have all their volume scooped. So they added this one, this limiter of one. So I'm like, great. It's just like DraftKings. It only, it'll only one per each. But on DraftKings, if it auto-matches, it adheres to that also. So, like, it doesn't matter that, you know, there's, if there's five guys in the lobby, right, or something, and you have a limit of one, and you have eight available, it'll go one, 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 and those three, it'll just won't fill, right? Because the limiter limits to one per stakes level. FanDuel apparently doesn't work that way. FanDuel, if you have, if you have uh, 20 unfilled $5 head-to-heads at lock, even with a limit of one, it, all 20 could end up being with the same people, with, you know, you 12 get filled with the same person, right? With their head-to-heads that are available. So just to let you know that that's the case. I did not know that yesterday. So I had, I had a, I had a lot of, I, I, I think I had 12, I, I'd like, I'd like 600 or $700 worth of head-to-heads uh, against McLovin, uh, not realizing. I mean, I don't, it's not like I don't mind, you know, one, right? Just to have a diversity. I've played so many head-to-heads, it's ridiculous. But like, did I, did I, did I want to play $700 worth of head-to-heads versus one person? No. That, and that primarily because because the limiter doesn't have to do with uh, the auto match. So just figured that out. Maybe people do that beforehand. Okay. So uh, I hope you learned, learned a bunch of stuff here. Uh, I mean, this is what we do every day. What we do, this is, this is, a, this is a teaching, this is teaching time, right? Especially for NBA, where, like, look, holidays, we don't even know what else going on, right? At 11 o'clock a.m., we would have been talking about, if we talked about this late, it would have been, it would have been different people, right? That's why I don't like doing it, because people listen, also listen to the podcast version of this. 
They listen to three o'clock and they go, oh, this is the play. That's the play. No, it's not anymore. 800 things has happened the past three hours. So that's why I like reviewing past slates and talking about strategy, talking about how to use the tools, answering your questions, because that, that's what I do. So hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Give me those thummy thumbs. Hit the, hit the notification bell to know when we go live later. I'll be, I'll be on. I'll be on, I'll be on 7.30 tonight. I have uh, STL cards, I believe, uh, to break down the, the Broncos-Browns game, where half the player pool, is, it seems like they're not even playing. So, uh, so we'll, we'll be covering that then. And uh, we'll, we'll take a look at, at stuff tomorrow. Tomorrow's casual Friday. Right, casual Friday. We talk about a bunch. We talk about a bunch of stuff all the time. And answer your strategy questions here for DFS on the DFS pregame show every weekday on rotogrinders.com.